But in January, I, I said this, with a new year, and, and in essence, a new government, right? I says that we are at a crossroads. That we will either go one way or we will go the other. We will either see breakthroughs in our lives or we will see breakdowns in our lives. That we will either continue with the status quo or we're going to see growth. Spiritually, you and I are at a point where we will either get God's approval and his rewards on our life as a result of pursuing him. Because our theme this year truly is, hey, we're going to pursue God. We're going to love God. We're going to understand what that is all about in the most fundamental way as, as, as it is talking to him or by talking to him and listening to him. We're either going to have a breakthrough in that or we're going to experience God's disapproval and his hand of blessing being drawn from us. In other words, when you and I start a new year, we have a choice. You and I have a choice. Will we use this year that God has given us to turn towards God and to really develop a relationship with him? Or will we use this year to turn away from him? In other words, are you going to have a spiritual crash this year? Or are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to set you on fire? I deeply believe that everything that you and I need to have, to have our lives lit up, to be Holy Spirit-led and inspired is found in the Lord's Prayer. Folks, you find everything in that Lord's Prayer. You find things about relationships. You find things about forgiveness. You find things about security. You find things about significance. It's all found in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Today, we're going to take a look at that last phrase. A lot of people think that that last phrase is kind of like a 10-4, good buddy, see you, see you the next time, right? But it is just packed full of meaningful things. On your outlines, will you circle those three words, kingdom, power, and glory? And I want you to listen very carefully to this introduction because I'm going to explain to you the reason for everything. Everything, Pastor George? Everything. Everything that's happened in the past, everything that's going to happen in the future, the reason that you are alive right now in the present, these three words kingdom, power, and glory help you understand history. History is his story. God is sovereign. He is in control. <clears throat> You'll never understand life until you understand those three words, kingdom, power, and glory. Now you've heard me say this, I don't know if you've been around 28 years or close to 29 You've heard me say this, that you were made by God and you were made for God. And until you understand that, life isn't going to make a whole lot of sense. So let me say that phrase that I've said for years, let me say it just in a little bit different way. You were not just created by God. You were created and designed and made for God. That is why you were alive in human history right now. 
You weren't just created by God. You were created for him. You see, the Bible says that God is a God of compassion. That he is a God of love. That he is a God of mercy. The Bible says that God has, uh, God is these qualities. He doesn't have them. He doesn't possess, he is these things. He is a God of love. And God made you to love you. You were created by God, yes, but you were created for him. He wants to have a love relationship with you. So you weren't just created by him. You were created to live in his kingdom. By his, uh, to show his power and to bring him glory. So let me say it again. You weren't just created by God. You were created for him. You are an object of his love. Now I want to, I want to take this thing deeper than maybe you what you've ever thought of, because a lot of times, like I said, we get to the end of that prayer, and this is the 10-4 goodbye, you know, yours is the king of the power, we don't give much thought. So let me explain this in another way. Will you write this down? First, the kingdom of God is his plan. It is his plan for history, and it is his plan for eternity, folks. That's why I like the word, and oftentimes when I say it, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. It is not an exaggeration to state that God has long-range plans. You see, human history is just a, just a smidget on the timeline of God. God's plans evolve eternity. And you want to know something? Nothing is going to change it. Not a thing. Not a new government, not a new employer coming into town. Nothing is going to change it. In fact, the Bible says in Daniel that God's plans are unshakable. What does that look like? Especially, what does that look like for you and I on this side of eternity? Well, let me describe it like this. Let's say you're going to go on a cruise. And you're going to go on a cruise to the Philippines. Let me tell you, if you've not been to the Philippines, it is a dead, gorgeous country. You should go. And you're going to go on this cruise, and you're going to leave California, and you're going to go on a cruise to the Philippines. And while you're on that cruise liner, you can do anything that you want. You can eat at the buffet 24-7. And I can tell some of you have. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> or you can get a massage. Or you can sleep in. Or you can play uh, board games, shuffleboard. You can read. You can do anything you want. But understand this. You have limited freedom. That cruise liner is going to the Philippines, and there is nothing you can do about it. History is the same. History is moving the same way that God wants it to move, and there is nothing that you and I can do about it. Yes, we have freedom. We have freedom to do anything we want, but folks, it is limited freedom. Does that make sense? The ship is going this way, and it's not turning around for anything. The kingdom of God is his plan for all eternity. The kingdom of God is his story 
It's his plan for history and for eternity. The power of God is his program. It's how God accomplishes his plan. God doesn't accomplish his plan through marketing. He doesn't accomplish his plan through manufacturing or merchandising or advertising. He does it with his power. He accomplishes his program and his plan through his power. A beautiful scripture. You might write this down. I'm going to read this. It's Isaiah 45. It's around verse 12 where God says this. I, God, am the one who made the earth and created human beings to live there. By my power I stretched out the heavens. I control the sun, the moon, and the stars. I myself have stirred Cyrus to action to fulfill my purpose and put things right. No one has hired him or bribed him to do this. The Lord Almighty has spoken. Who in the world was this guy named Cyrus? He was the king of Persia. Persia, okay? Living in Babylon. And God stirred in him to make things right with Israel, to release God's people so that they could go back in a timely fashion. This was written hundreds of years before this happened. Cyrus, who in the world was that guy, okay? But when he came on the scene, God said, hey, he's the one, and he's going to get my people and set things right and get them back to Jerusalem because God had disciplined them through King Nebuchadnezzar because of their idolatry and took them to Babylon. And God is saying, I'm the one that's in control. You're not going to change history. If I've declared it, it's going to happen. It's going in this direction. I have the plan, and I have the power. God's glory is his purpose. Everything God does, he does to reveal what he's like. That is his glory. And he wants you and I to know him. And everything that God has ever made, it is to reveal who he's like. And through creation, we get to understand what God is like a little bit, right? It's not a complete picture, but it's, it's somewhat of a picture. It's like a Polaroid that's developing. It, it, we get to know that God likes variety, that he's creative, that he's organized, that he's powerful. And through God's word, we understand that he is loving and merciful and kind and just and righteous. And so God's glory is his purpose. Let me take this even deeper for us. Because we oftentimes think this is the 10-4 goodbye type prayer. God's kingdom is a present reality. In other words, it is. It's not something that's going to come some time off way in the future. No, it is. The kingdom of God is wherever God is king. And if, and if he is king on earth, then the kingdom of God is on earth. If he is king in heaven, then the kingdom of God is in heaven. If he is king in my heart, then the kingdom of God is within me or within you. The kingdom of God is a present reality. It is. Now, if the kingdom of God is a present reality, and folks, it is a present reality, God is king. I hope he's king in you, okay? But if, he, if the kingdom of God is a present reality, then the power of God is, a, is, is the present resources. It is the energy that you get to do what God has called you to do after you have surrendered and submitted your life to him. Jesus said it's something like this. The things that are, are impossible, the things that are impossible with man are very, are very, very possible with God. 
When you and I surrender to God, God gives us a supernatural power to live above our circumstances, to forge through culture and what culture is saying after you surrender to him. That is why in the Lord's Prayer, this thing, uh, give us our, uh, our daily bread, okay, is after your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've got to first submit. What is God's glory? Well, it's not reality and it's not resources. It's the reason. It's the present reason for everything. And what is that present reason? For God's glory. God wants to be known. I talk to people all the time who tell me that they've got it all. And they do. They got a good family, they got a good marriage, they got a good house, they got a good car, they got a great job and career, and yet they say, you know, I feel like, Pastor George, there's something missing in my life. Why is that? Well, it's because you were made for more than just success. Folks, you were made to live for the kingdom and the power and the glory in the present not in the future necessary, in the present. And when you, and you will never find fulfillment apart from living for the kingdom, by the power, and for the glory in the present. Does that make sense? Now I know that is a long introduction but I say that so that we can answer these two questions. Or not two, but three. So that we can ask and answer these questions. How do I live in God's kingdom, by God's power, and for God's glory? And notice that I didn't talk about religion there. I just tell you this, God is not into religion at all. He, we're not talking about religion here. He didn't come to give us religion. Folks, he came to give us life. And I find that most people are not experiencing life. They're just existing. And the reason that they're existing is because they haven't learned the last part of the Lord's Prayer. Of living in God's kingdom and by God's uh, power and for God's glory. So how in the world do we do that? Well, we do that by not living for ourselves. Honestly. Let me just be frank with you. And I hate to do this because I know you woke up an hour early, okay? Uh, the first service got two stars for coming. Uh, you guys get one star because it was an hour later. But thank you for coming, okay? I, I know it's hard, that one hour. I woke up at 2 o'clock just to set my clock back one hour, okay? And honestly, I woke up and we went to bed at the normal time. Well, it was 9.30 the new time, 8.30 the, the old time, and I woke up after about five hours, I wake up, it's like, okay, let's get on with the day. So I've been up since about 1.30 new time for the last, till whenever I got up, I guess, out of bed. But let me be frank with you, okay? I digress, my ADD's kicking in. You're not a big enough reason to get out of bed even one hour early. You yourself are not a big enough reason to give yourself meaning. 
You need something bigger than yourself. And there is a cause that is bigger. And guess what it is called? The kingdom of God. So how do we live this fulfilled life? Number one, by living in God's kingdom. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12. You should live in a way that proves you belong to God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. What does that mean, to live in God's kingdom? It means that you were made, you, that you make God's plans your plans. That you, you make God's agenda your agenda. That you care about the things that God cares about. And to be honest with you, most people care about everything else than what God cares about, okay? And that is why, honestly, is why we worry so much. Interesting, as you study the Sermon on the, um, uh, the Mount, not the amount, okay? He's not talking about money, the Mount, okay? He, he, he gives six reasons why you shouldn't worry. Six reasons why you shouldn't worry about your health or your happiness or security or your future or your relationships or your job. And he concludes these six things that you and I shouldn't worry about in Matthew 6, by saying this, God will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Jesus is saying, after he did this whole discourse on the Sermon of, of the Mount, he says, if you surrender your life, God will take care of your needs. If you surrender and make his concerns your concerns, God will meet all your needs. If you surrender and make what God cares about what you care about, God says, I will meet all your needs bar none. In other words, what he's saying here is that whatever you put, wherever you put God first, that's what he blesses. Whatever, wherever God isn't first, that's called an idol. And folks, we got a lot of American idols in our culture, don't we? He says, whatever you put me first in, that is what I'm going to bless. And so what does it mean to put God first in my life? Well, I'm glad you asked, okay? Let me give you five things, okay? And I put it in an acrostic, F-I-R-S-T. The first is F. You put him first in your finances. I is for interests. You put him first in your interests, your hobbies, your career, your recreational activities. R, you put him first in your relationships, in your marriage, with your family, with your friends. S is for schedule. You put him first in your schedule. You put him, you put him at, at the first, or you put him in the first part of your day. Like I've said before, first thing when I get up in the morning, I says, God, you know what? If I don't get anything else accomplished other than getting to know you better, because that is the aim and goal of life, hey, this has been a successful day, okay? You put him in the first part of your day and you put him in the first part of your week on Sundays. You go, you go to church, you worship with God's people. I can remember when sports with our kids was starting to take over Sundays. And I told the coaches and all my kids, I says, there's one thing that we do not do is we don't play sports on Sunday morning. Now, this is us. You can do whatever you want. But God takes priority. And this is a day where we come together as a family and we worship, okay? And we did. And we said, no, no sports on Sundays for our kids. 
Why? Because we put God first. We put God first in the first part of our day as we trained our kids to have quiet times with him. And by the way, my kids are still doing that. You train them up early and they won't depart from it when they get older. And then you make the first part of the week, God, we're just going to come together. This is going to be a habit that we have. T stands for troubles. You put him in the first part of your troubles. And this area might surprise you, but a lot of people, when troubles come into their life, make God their last resort. The thinking is this, oh, well, you know, we've tried everything else. I guess we should pray. You know what? Because we've come to the end of our rope, we better call in a professional. Let's call the pastor to pray. It happens all the time. Prayer should not be our last resort. Folks, truly, when troubles come into our life, it ought to be our first choice. And so Jesus, when he was walking on earth, said, just as my Father has given me a kingdom, I give you a kingdom also. We are to live in the kingdom of God. There is a second way that you and I live a fulfilled life, and that is by living by God's power. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not just fancy talk, it is living by God's power. Did you know that God does not bless self-reliance? Did you know that? God doesn't bless people who pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. I've never understood how that could happen, okay? But anyway, that's the phrase of our culture. God blesses people who are dependent on him, who have surrendered to him, who are God-dependent. The problem with self-made men is that they like to worship themselves, and we've all seen people like that, have we not? I mean, the ego just oozes out of them, and you feel like a slime when you've left them. God says, no, I bless people who are expecting me to help them. You see, Jesus said it like this, according to your faith, it'll be done unto you. So let me ask you this, what are you expecting God to do in your life, really? What are you dependent on God and expecting God to do in your life, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your family, with your finances, with your, your career? I can tell you without even talking to you what God's going to do in your life, exactly what you're expecting him to do. Nothing more and nothing less. God says, I want to work in you, and by the way, I want to work through you. I want to use you, but you must live by my power. You see, some of you want to be used of God in your families, but you are relying on worldly wisdom. Some of you are wanting God to use you in your marriage. But you are using uh, worldly wisdom. Some of you are wanting to see God use you at your workplace, but you are relying on your own strength. Let me let you in on a little secret. The more you depend on God instead of yourself, the more God is going to bless you. If you depend on him a lot, then God's going to bless you a lot. If you depend on him a little, then God's just only going to bless you a little. Folks, it's all dependent on how much you're going to live by God's power. 
Take a look at this verse out of Ephesians 3.20. By his mighty power at work within us, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or think. God says, I can do more than you can even imagine. God can do more. Think about this. God can do more in one, in one week of your life than you could do in a lifetime. But Pastor George, there's just too many problems. And I'm just too old. I mean, there's a lot of water that's going under my bridge. And, and I'm just too old and I just don't have the energy in me to get these things done like I used to. It's never too late. I don't care how old you are. 63, 65, 73, 23, it doesn't really matter. It's never too late with God. The question is this, how do you and I get God's power in our life? We get it. We get it three ways. We get the kingdom and the power and the glory three ways. One, by praying. You see, praying isn't something that you do in the last minute. No, it ought to be our first choice. Prayer is a, it really is an outward expression of dependence on God. Prayer is connecting to God's power in your life. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. James, in James 5, 16, you can write this one down. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. If you don't have much power in your life, guess what that tells me? It tells me that you haven't been praying much. The second way is by taking risks to obey. You see, when you take a risk to do what God has told you, even if it doesn't make sense, I'm going to tell you this, God is going to pour out his power on your life. Now, why is that? It's because we only grow when our faith is stretched, and our faith can only be stretched when we get out of our comfort zones. If I were to ask you, would you like to see more miracles happen in your life? My guess is you would raise your hand. You see, how does God produce more miracles in your life? I'll tell you how. It's when you make and take the first step. It's when you take the first step, honestly, to get out of your comfort zone. That's why I said, at the beginning of this year, you got a choice. You can stay in the same old rut, status quo, and continue to experience what you've always experienced, or you can choose to do something different. You can start praying and saying, okay, God, I want you to start working, working in me and working through me. But you got to take the first step. You see, you see this in Joshua's life. Joshua's taking God's people. Moses, he's, he's done, okay? He's an old leader. He's, he's with Jesus now. And Joshua's taking the people into the promised land. They come to the Jordan River in the spring of the year, and it is flooded. It is over its banks. And Joshua calls out to, to God, God, you got to do a miracle like you did in, in Egypt by parting the Red Sea. And God says, nope, I'm not going to do it that way. God doesn't always repeat miracles. Have you learned that? He always likes to do new things. He's a creative God, okay? He says, nope, I'm not going to do that. Here's what I'm going to do, Joshua. And this is going to be a test. you got to step into the river first. But God, it's overflowing. This is the flood of the year. We'll just get swept down the river, especially with the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant that we're carrying. It's just not going to work. It's a test, Joshua. And I can just picture it now, okay? 
God's doing a new thing. We're going to trust him. And they step in. I can see it. Ankles and then knees and then up to their waist. And wham, all of a sudden, when they step into the river, it stops. God does a miracle. Here's the point. If you want to see miracles happen in your life, you got to take the first step. And one of the most fundamental and easiest ways to do that is just by get, begin by beginning to have just a normal conversation with God about your life. You see, oftentimes we are waiting on God to do a miracle. And God is waiting on us. Let's talk. So how do you live? So how do you live in God's kingdom? And by his power, by praying, by taking risks, by moving forward when you're afraid. You see, I say this, the thing that you fear the most, that's the very thing that God wants to call you. God wants you to get out of your comfort zone and do. If you want to see more miracles in your life, you've got to step out, okay? Because power doesn't come. It doesn't come before it comes during. I cannot tell you how many times I have stood up on this stage and I have felt weak. This morning, I felt that way, okay? Honestly, I was up at 1.30 and did not go to bed since then. I said, God, this is not a good Sunday. I need to have all the energy. People are going to be tired. I've got to pump them up. I can tell you this. I've never experienced God's power when I'm writing my message. I've never experienced God's power when I'm rehearsing it at the mall. The only time I experience God's power is when I come up here and God says, George, this is a test. Just open your mouth and start teaching. That's when I experience it. I've had people ask Cheryl, is George always filled with energy at home like he is on Sunday mornings? And honestly, her answer is no, he's rather quiet. Why? Because I've chosen to say, okay, God, I know this is a test, and you put some things on my heart, and I don't feel much power when I was writing it or when I was rehearsing it, but then God shows up. When you do the very thing that you fear the most, I'm going to guarantee you this, God will show up. So let me pause right here and ask you this question. What do you know that God wants you to do that you haven't done yet? Open your life to Jesus Christ. Allow your creator God to come in you and fill you with his spirit and empower you. Open your life to Jesus Christ. Join LifePoint Church. I can't join. That's a weird church. Get baptized. Get involved in biblical community. Serve in the church. The very thing that you fear the most is the very thing that God wants you to do. There's one other way to live by God's power, and that is by not giving up. You see, we get God's power when we pray, and we get God's power when we step out in advance, but we also get God's power, folks, when we hold on. And in order to experience God's power, what he does is that he stretches your faith, and he stretches it for a period of time where it becomes a test. And it's as you hold on through tough times that God is testing you. And that is how you experience God's power because you will see God buoy you up, fortify you, support you during times for long periods of time. So how do I live in God's kingdom? F-I-R-S-T. 
finances, interests, relationships, schedules, and, and troubles. How do I live by God's power? I pray, I risk, I hold on in tough times. And then number three, how do I live for God's glory? Because it says, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. How do I live for God's glory? If you want to live a fulfilled life, number three, you must live for the glory of God. How do you do that? Take a look at Romans 6, 10 and 11. Jesus died to defeat sin, and now he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Whose glory are you living for right now? Some of you are living for your own glory. Some of you are living for the glory of others. Maybe your spouse. Maybe your, maybe your kids. Maybe some friendship. Or maybe your job. I don't know. Your parents is another one, okay? God didn't put you here on this earth to fulfill other people's desires. God put you on this earth to live for the audience of one person, Jesus Christ. God wants you to live for his glory. Folks, that's why many people are living unfulfilled lives. It's because they give second-class allegiance, give first-class allegiance to second-class causes. And that may be sex, that may be salary, or that may be status. But what happens if you give yourself to sex, salary, and status, and one day they're all gone? Well, they're gone. I've talked with people who have climbed up the corporate ladder to discover that when they get to the top of it, it's leaning against the wrong building. They've given first-class allegiance to second-class causes, and, then as, as, and as they are at the end of their life, they're looking back, and they're going, Oh my goodness, I've wasted it. My wife has gotten tired of the History Channel. She doesn't like Hitler anymore. I don't know why. So we've been watching the Wealth Channel. I, I call it the Wealth Channel. It's yachts and planes and mansions and, you know, something that I would never experience, but you'd like to see it, right? You go to California, you get on one of those tours, you go see, you know, where these people live and types of things like that. And I'll never forget watching one of the shows where a dad had come to the end of his career and his life. He's kind of in the last season of his life. And he said this, I know I've wasted my life and haven't built a relationship with my kids. And so that's why I'm buying this boat. And when I heard that, it just broke my heart. God wants us to live for his glory. How do we do that? How do I live for the glory of God? Well, there are hundreds of ways, but let me give you four real quick. First, by showing love to everybody. Now, why is that? Well, it's because God is love. And when you and I love other people, we are revealing what God is like to them. Now, how do you and I do that in the 21st century with everything that's going on in our culture? Folks, I have never seen our culture, our nation, more divided than it is right now. It is just, in one sense, pathetic. So how do we show God's love? Simply by accepting people. But Pastor George, I, I don't agree with what they're doing. Well, that doesn't mean that you can't accept them. Folks, acceptance doesn't mean approval. God accepts you 100%, but he doesn't approve of everything that you do. And so love isn't saying that you approve of everything that a person does. Love just says, I, uh, I accept you in spite of what you're doing. 
Take a look at Romans 15, verse 7. Warmly welcome each other into the church, just as Christ has warmly welcomed you, then God will be what? Glorified. Will you write this down? Simple hospitality brings glory to God. Did you know that? When you open up your house, when you show kindness, especially with someone who's, who, who, who's on the opposite side of you, you're a Republican, they're a Democrat, or whatever, you know. When you show simple hospitality, that brings glory to God. And so the question is this, can you be nice to other people? Yes. When you and I are just nice, it brings glory to God. Like I've said in times past, we as a nation, I believe, have really grown in, in civil rights, but we have not grown in civility. Just by being nice to people and loving them brings glory to God. Second, use your ability to serve everybody. Take a look at 1 Peter 4. 10, God has given each of you some special abilities to make a lot of money. Is that what that says? No, that comes out of the reviled substandard version right from the pit of hell, okay? It says God has given each of you some special abilities to be, sh be sure to use them, and will you circle this phrase, to help each other so that God will what? Be glorified. God has wired you to make a contribution. Your talents, this may shock you, were given to you, not for you. Your talents were given for others, and other people's talents were given for you. Truly, I am so grateful that, that other people can sing. I know the rumor is out there that I am a great singer and that I have a good beat, but I am not, okay? I mean, the rumor is it that I'm going to start my own band with Mark Brown, okay? Uh, but we are not that good, okay? I am so grateful for people who lead us in worship. I am grateful for people who know how to manage finances that are on the board. I mean, we have a 2.5, basically, if you want to think of this church, $2.5 million budget. I'm thankful for people who, know, who are number crunchers. I'm thankful that that we have people who are working with our, our children and our students, who, by the way, just got back from New Orleans about a day ago, okay? And they had a great time down there. They got back safely. Thank you, Jesus, right? And so, yeah, give it up. That was awesome. Great trip, life-changing. But I am so grateful for them. Now, yes, God has given me some talents, okay? I'm not saying that they're good, but they're some. And guess what? He gave them to me so as to bless you. So my question to you is this. Are you going to bless me? When are you going to start using your talents to bless me? My car needs washing. The point is this. When I don't use my talents to serve other people, I'm cheating them. Let me let you in on a little secret. When I came here from Missouri to Dallas, I got real acquainted with Zig Ziglar. You heard of that guy? And he made this statement. If you want to be blessed by God, make it your aim in life to add value to every person that you come in contact with. That's how you get to the top. Remember that phrase of his? You see, I am the most blessed man in this church. Why, you might ask? It's not because I deserve it. 
It's because every morning I wake up and I say, God, I want to live in your kingdom by your power for your glory. I don't want to live for myself because honestly, it's not about me. It's about adding value to other people's life. I have people who ask me all the time, George, why did God choose the Jews? Well, if you want to know the answer to that, you got to read in the book of Genesis. you got to read Genesis 18. God came to a guy named Abraham, and he chose him. That's where the Jewish race started. But why did he choose him? It says he chose him because he knew that he wouldn't just store the blessings to himself, but that he would pass them on to his kids who would pass them on to, his, to their kids who would pass them on to their kids. In other words, Abraham, he saw in Abraham that he wasn't going to be a dam, but rather he was going to be a champion. And he says, because I see in Abraham's heart amongst all the people in the world that he is going to be a giver, I'm going to use him. And so God blessed him. The third way that you show God's glory is by sharing the good news with everyone. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 4.15. As God's grace brings more and more people to Christ, God will receive more and more glory. Notice he isn't talking about religion here. We're not talking to others about religion. We're talking to other people about a relationship, a person. And when you and I do that, when we talk about Jesus with other people, you know what? It brings glory to God. Every time you bring someone to faith, it brings glory to God. Every time you bring someone to church and they hear the good news, guess what? It brings glory to God, which raises this question. When was the last time you invited someone to church? Honestly. Easter is coming, okay? Who are you going to invite to Easter services? I cannot tell you how many times I've had a person come up to me and says, George, I know I should have been inviting this person, and I really wish I'd have done that this Sunday because what you said and taught, they needed to hear. I can't tell you how many times a new person has come up to me at, back there in the connection room and says, you know what, this is my first Sunday, and I felt like you were speaking right to me. Folks, we are not a weird church. I know I dress a little weird, okay, with Hawaiian shirts and my Hawaiian shoes, okay? But we're not a weird church, okay? We, we are a church that, hey, you can dress however you want. I don't care whether you got a ring in your nose or whether you wear shorts or whatever. I'm just glad you're, you're coming. I can remember I had to address that the very first time. We're at church and someone says, George, I think everyone should wear suits at church. You should teach on that. I looked him in the eye and said, guess what? I wouldn't come to that church, okay? I want us to be who we are. We're not a weird church. So invite people. We're a church that's about the good news and the common good. And we're seeking to reach our generation in a culturally relevant way. The fourth way is this. Is to join God's family. Take a look at Ephesians 3.21. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time, forever and ever. And as I like to say, and ever and ever and ever. I want you to hear this. The only thing that's going to last is God's family. Microsoft, a hundred years from now, probably won't exist. HP won't exist. 
Would anybody like to give a testimony about J.C. Penney's? Nothing stays the same. America will not be here in a thousand years from now, okay? The only thing that lasts is God's family. And so I say this, find one and become a part of it, okay? And you are welcome to be a part of this one. I make no apologies that if you seek to join LifePoint Church, it may be the most significant thing that you do with your life because we are a church that is seeking to make a difference for the glory of God through sharing the good news and the common good for people. Do you want to live a fulfilled life? Think about that last race. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It'll happen as you live in God's kingdom by God's power and for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. God, really, I'm kind of tickled pink that we're done with this series because I'm ready to move on to other things. But I thank you for the journey that we've been on these last 40 days and the things that we have learned out of your prayer and just how to love you in the most fundamental way, and that is through conversing with you and by listening to you. Thank you that you have created us to know you, to be in relationship with you, to know that we're loved, to know that you've got plans for our life, to know that you are the God of all resources, to know that you're a God of grace that forgives us, to know and understand that you want us to forgive others, to know and understand that you have given us your spirit that is greater that's greater in us than the things that are in the world so that we can fight temptation. To know that we can have a fulfilled life as we live in your kingdom by your power and for your glory. And God, as we end this time, may we not forget of just talking to you every day things that are going on in our life having faith and expecting you to work in us and to work through us God God I thank you for this family God you've blessed us so richly may we be a blessing to other people may we who are called life pointers so to speak keep our ears open to you that we might follow you fully God in Jesus name we pray